So welcome everybody to this uh, seminar, uh, this um, Thinking Brazil seminar, another event in the series. Um, this, it's a pleasure to welcome Fernando Vivia, uh, who will be presenting a paper on the Lava Chato, on the car wash uh, corruption scheme. Um, I will present her, she will give a presentation for around 20 to 30 minutes, and then we will open the floor for questions and discussions. So, um, so Fernando uh, um, has been um, a journalist for a long while. She was uh, a professional journalist at Folia de Sao Paulo in, in Brazil, and uh, has written the book uh, Pisolato, now she's the Plonifalido, about the escape and arrest of uh, Pisolato, um, the, the uh, president of the of, uh, of Brazil, of uh, a bank in Brazil. Uh, she will, she's currently doing a PhD, so she's a PhD candidate at King's College London in the Brazilian Institute. And uh, let me thank her for being with us today. And uh, without further delay, I will let her. Having me here. So as you might know, uh, Lava Jato or Cow Wash is uh, uh, an investigation that has been bringing to the public eye uh, a surprise almost every single week, or at least every month. Uh, so it's been like that for three years. In March, uh, it's going to be three years that uh, almost every day we have headlines in the newspapers and, or at least, uh, breaking scandal coming up. And just kind of a, a, from March, 2014 to now, there are uh, 37 phases of this investigation and few uh, outspread investigations, such as uh, the one last week uh, in which uh, the former Brazilian billionaire, the richest man in Brazil, like Batista, uh, uh, they, they, they issue an arrest warrant against him. So, and yesterday he uh, went back to Brazil and he was arrested. So. Uh, it's massive, and, and uh, it's quite hard to follow uh, up every single step of it, so uh, it's super time-consuming, but I've been reading all the, the statements, uh, testimonies of the main decisions, and, and uh, when they started this investigation in March uh, 2014, I was there in front of the police station, uh, waiting for uh, those who were arrested in, in Brasilia and uh, trying to discover what was happening because uh, it wasn't about Petrobras at that moment. It wasn't, no one could tell at that moment that it would be something like that, actually. So what I'm presenting here is still a working paper uh, that tries to theorize what the investigation has already told us. And I'm looking at it from more pers from perspective, actually, from the political science point of view. My background is in journalism. Uh, I do like uh, criminology, and, and my current research is based on criminology principles. But So I'm trying to mix a little bit of political science and, and criminology here. Uh, basically, the economic theory uh, of crime from Gary Baker, um, rational choice theory. 
So I presented this paper in a couple of conferences and now I'm waiting um, for feedback from the journal. So there is still room and time to, for improvement. So any critiques, suggestions, observations are more than welcome. So please, you can strike me now because now we can rewrite this paper and, and so help me actually. Uh, just to have an idea, this paper is based on uh, what we call secondary data. So I'm using uh, uh, official data, actually, campaign finance records, government payment orders, um, and of course the police and the prosecutors' uh, reports. I'm also using uh, the collaboration agreements, the statements made uh, in front of the police, the prosecutors, and also in the National Congress. Um, and also judiciary uh, uh, sentencing remarks, actually. So it is uh, one of the many possible uh, uh, narratives. I don't say it's an official narrative because I'm very critical about it, but it's one of the many narratives that we can um, tell, actually. Um, and in point what the Cowboys uh, uh, has told us about how corporate corruption uh, works in Brazil, I'm going to try to present a model that I'm calling uh, uh, illicit financial keeper cop. Uh, and my uh, my empirical evidence, what I'm going to provide here, is based is focused mainly on Petrobras probe. So. Uh, there are uh, already uh, evidence that the scheme was happening in different agencies and, and now with uh, Odebrecht agreement, probably we're going to discover more things, not only the national level, but the state and municipalities as well. But I'm focused on Petrobras. And yet, I know this is a provocative title, and now I can blame Juan for that. <laughs> After blaming, I think the uh, thank you for pushing me that, and, and, and I can tell you that uh, uh, my findings suggest that both uh, answers are true. It is a corruption scandal, and it is a systemic illicit financial paper cut. And I'm defining scandal here as the result of a disclosure of some act of wrongdoing or norm violation. There is a, a, a scholar called John Thompson who wrote about uh, Clinton and Monica Lewinsky scandal. Uh, he defines uh, a scandal as uh, actual events involving certain kinds of transgressions which become known to others and are sufficiently serious to release a public response because it fits uh, to uh, Lava Jato. But I don't know um, what do you know exactly about uh, uh, this car wash scandal, but uh, Lava Jato in Portuguese is uh, as high pressure wash is known. And uh, now it's a synonym of a criminal investigation that has undercover a large scale bribery, kickback, money laundering. Uh, an illegal campaign financing uh, scheme involving uh, politicians and businessmen and top-level bureaucrats, actually. And it became famous for targeting Petrobras, but as I told you in the beginning, uh, the main targets uh, were four black market currency dealers. In Brazil, we call them doleiros. Basically, they are money lauderers, and, and they uh, worked for 
everyone who had dirty money and needed to clean that. So in the beginning of the investigation, uh, the first police findings uh, led, they, they, they lead actually to drug dealers, diamond dealers, <laughs> businessmen, and um, Petrobras wasn't among the main targets actually. And it's car wash because one of these four uh, um, black market currency dealers, he uh, has a petrol station and it's car wash was using to lottery money. I don't know if you watch it, uh, Breaking, uh, Breaking Bad, the, the TV show, but it's, it's like uh, Walter White uh, lottery money using a car wash actually. So it's very similar. Um, so yeah, Brazil always surprising us. <laughs> so, and, and um, as I told you, uh, I'm going to focus on Petrobras uh, to try to uh, see the bigger figure here. So it's important to, uh, context is important. So Petrobras was created in, in the mid 50s uh, as a state control uh, um, company and in the 50s and 40s and 50s in Brazil, uh, some companies uh, such in sectors like steels, chemicals, and, and uh, electricity, they were set up uh, um, because they were considered to uh, fundamental economic development. And in mid-90s, as it happened in Latin America, it was privatized, and Petrobras lost its oil uh, monopoly in Brazil. And it also opened part of its shares in early 2000. So at that time, people thought that uh, um, Petrobras would finally be open to uh, scrutiny and external monitoring. And um, they thought it would be good to improve its governance and transparency. But uh, particularism is one of the core characteristics of uh, the state, the Brazilian state capitalism, so, uh, and it's kind of rent-seeking, it's being played in Brazil quite hard. But how the investigation arrived here, basically, I don't know if you know, but it's, it's quite cool. Um, one of the drug dealers, uh, his name is Alberto Youssef. Uh, so the day the police um, went to the streets to arrest some people and to, um, uh, search and seize uh, some, uh, uh, against some targets. One of the targets was Paulo Roberto Costa, this guy here, uh, former director of Petrobras. But there, there was nothing against him but the fact that he was driving a very expensive uh, car that, has, that was bought by Alberto Yosef, the money lover. Uh, it was a Land Rover, uh, it cost around 100,000 pounds from 72, depends on the currency, but around 100,000 pounds. And uh, Paulo Roberto was invited, kind of, uh, Brazil now there is a, a um, you don't arrest the person, but the person is forced to go to a police station to deliver a statement. In Portuguese, we call that condução coercitiva, kind of a coercitive conduction, poorly translated that. And Paulo Roberto, so Paulo Roberto went to, to the police station to explain uh, what was happening. And the explanation was pretty simple. So 
I used to work for Petrobras, I worked for more than 30 years, um, and now I'm a consultant. Youssef uh, looked for me and I helped him, and he didn't have money to pay, so he bought me a car. At that moment, was it? But while he was delivering the statement, uh, his two daughters and son-in-laws were collecting documents in his office. When the police arrived there uh, to look for documents and, and things, um, they realized it was empty. And they asked the front doorman, so did anything happen here? Oh yeah, they were going up and down carrying bags, boxes, back bags. And do you have these images? Yeah, we do. So with the CCTV inside the elevator, they said, oh, uh, his family is destroying evidence. And then Paulo Roberto was arrested, uh, five or four or six days after uh, the main operation. He was arrested, then he uh, got, um, he was released, and the police uh, discovered that he had an European passport that he didn't tell the police, so he was arrested again, because they thought he could escape, run away. And once he was in jail again, and his family started to be investigated, he couldn't handle it. And I do think that this investigation shows us that wealthy people cannot handle jail. Okay, <laughs> I don't blame them, you'll see what's happening there, it's quite hard. But once they are there, uh, they, they speak, they tell them, and Paulo Roberto was the first one who signed a plea agreement to get his home arrest. And um, he, based on his testimony, the investigation from kind of a messy, could be lead to anywhere it, it went to Petrobras. <coughs> and since then, it's what we've been seeing now. So the statements Paulo Roberto made, and then the follow uh, uh, businessmen and, 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 and businessmen and uh, the others, they challenging two basic understandings about uh, uh, not only Petrobras, but campaign finance donations, actually. So basically, uh, Petrobras was known as a successful case of insulation for pol political exploitation. Lava Jato showed that it's not a pocket of efficiency in this, this sense. Uh, and also, um, there are scholars who support the idea that who make on the books campaign donations are less likely to tolerate corruption. And it's not true because uh, Lava Jato told us that uh, part of the money um, that was overcharged <coughs> from the contracts, were, uh, this part of, was channeled back as on the record campaign finance. So it's not only uh, of they are not only cooking books, but they are making this money as, they are laundering money as uh, legal don campaign donations, actually. Um, and this, uh, this is, um, Paulo Roberto uh, had a notebook with very insightful uh, uh, notes. And one of these notes is a quote by Milo Fernandes, this kind of uh, uh, cartoonist, writer, humorist in Brazil in which he says, uh, abolishing corruption is uh, the supreme goal of those ones who have not achieved uh, power or power positions, if you want to, to 
And this notebook, uh, it's very interesting because then after, the, after he, he signed the agreement, he explained who is PB and, and Tião Viana and so on, actually. And, and yeah, it's kind of minor gold here. Um, so from what they said, uh, we can um, state that, I guess there are enough evidence to state that, basically uh, politicians conspire to appoint uh, uh, top officials at Petrobras. Uh, these bureaucrats, in turn, uh, they collude with a cartel of private companies, and uh, evidence show they uh, often overcharge on construction and maintenance contracts, and uh, this money was uh, channeled back as bribes, kickbacks, uh, and campaign finance uh, donations for everyone, actually. Uh, and uh, what we must say that the first outcomes uh, from this investigation are very impressive. So far, uh, especially for Brazil, a country uh, where the judiciary is known for its uh, slowness, I can say, and there is a lot of loopholes uh, on the law, so uh, up, up to uh, December, actually. Uh, 56 people, uh, and there are 56 charges against almost 300 people and uh, 120 sentences imposed, uh, almost uh, 300 years in prison, and but two, two, only 22 people remain in jail, and then I can tell you who they are actually. Um, so I guess we can state that the car wash is a rare but effective uh, cooperation between the federal police, the prosecutor service, the revenue service, and the federal judiciary. And um, this police officer here, the Japanese, he became known as the Japanese of the federal police because uh, he was um, uh, escorting most of those who were arrested uh, to their first physical examination for the uh, medical uh, test, actually. And he himself, he was investigated and convicted. <laughs> <laughs> now he's uh, home arrest, actually. But uh, he was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Brazil, I guess. <laughs> he was convicted for smuggling uh, in the three border area along uh, uh, the junction of Paraguay, Argentina, and Brazil. And he went, he went to jail for a, a couple of months, I don't know, last year. Now he's, uh, yeah. Anyway, so, but again, uh, I do think I've never thought I would see so many important people going to jail like uh, this investigation um, made this. So, um, there is a scene, I don't have a picture of it, but uh, it's Leo Pinheiro, a uh, guy from a very important uh, construction firm. He's, uh, he, he's dressed up, so he's wearing a fancy suit, he's with his fancy suitcase, and he's going to it looks like he's going to a uh, business trip, but he's going to jail. So I do think it's uh, uh, um, 
very, it's, a, it's re remarkable, but I'm not sure if it's a new paradigm or it's only a great exception. So I guess we still need to look at it. So let's make it more academic a little bit, actually. So uh, in this paper, I'm trying to answer uh, basically two questions and I speculate uh, <coughs> about the third one, actually. So I'm looking at how these actors, politicians, bureaucrats, and businessmen, they interact with each other and um, how their actions are connected to corruption. And uh, I also try to answer how likely is this uh, model um, systemic and it, if, whether or not it can be emulated in other agencies. And uh, what I must say that uh, despite all of those people arrested or investigated or the, sin, the, the, the convictions, one of the major repercussions of this investigation is, I guess, in my opinion, the Brazilian Supreme Court decision to ban corporate donations to electoral campaigns. So in 2015, the Supreme Court decided, no, there, there won't be more uh, um, donations by company, only individuals can donate. And uh, it, it was uh, pushed by this investigation. So I'm trying to look at how this could curb acts of corruption and nothing. It's not curbing corruption, it's changing other things, but not acts of corruption, actually. So I'm not going to uh, make it painful, but because models can be very painful. But uh, what's important to say here is that the Latin sen sentence quiproquo is basically uh, means something for something or a favor for a favor. And indeed, uh, uh, it synthesizes <coughs> the trade um, of something of value for something of value in the Petrobras case, I guess. Uh, we're talking here high level positions, contracts, um, subsides, and of course, money. And what it's important, I guess, it's uh, to keep in mind that we do have, it's a model, so it simplifies a reality. I do know that. But there are at least three actors interacting. Each one of them, they, they have preferences, and they are engaged in strategic actions, actually. So basically, a company wants a contract, and they are... Um, open to uh, pay for it and um, bureaucrats they want a higher position so they are open to uh, sell their work to get this position in order to overcharge contracts and, and uh, uh, receive some a compensation for that and politicians they want to keep their positions or they want to get uh, office and he can then appoint a bureaucrat who can work for them as well. So um, Lava Jato showed us actually that uh, <coughs> uh, there was a fixed percentage, at least in Petrobras, 
uh, from 1.5 to 3% of the contracts signed between uh, Petrobras and the corporations, they become bribes or kickbacks uh, to be split among uh, not only the members of certain parties, uh, but also the bureaucrats who were appointed, and it, it also paid the middleman and some opera, um, operation costs, and actually. And this payment could be um, made, it was made in different uh, ways. So it could uh, be paid directly. So there are cases of uh, people who were arrested in airports carrying a massive amount of money under their underwears or under their socks. Uh, it also could be uh, uh, that it was transported in private jets or uh, there are um, some uh, uh, records of, of uh, electronic transfers <coughs> to accounts of third parties. Another way uh, was uh, transferring that money to shell companies in, in tax havens and um, also on the books and off the books campaign donations and as gifts such as piece of art. Uh, in the José Diceu case, there, he received, uh, allegedly received a piece of art or properties actually. So, but evidence provided showed that uh, the corruption scheme does not limit itself uh, to bribers or kickbacks. So at, we can state that there are um, at least uh, three other well-defined uh, interconnected corrupt acts. Cartel practice, and this is very interesting because uh, the group of uh, constructors, they created a, a kind of a sportive uh, championship. It, they simulate, and this document was uh, seized in one of uh, uh, in, the, in the office of one of the suspects and later on during the, the plea agreement he explained that it was uh, the rule of the cartel. So basically I do like uh, the goal actually. So the championship aims to prepare the teams to national and international championships, always intending to break records and to get the best awards. Um, it also, uh, it's also about uh, um, influence peddling actually. And, Paulo Roberto Costa uh, let it clear that there is a limit in the career where the technical competence is not enough <coughs> for purpose. Basically, when you analyze their statements, every single one, um, they tell what they did, they admit what happened, but they play the role of the victim. So, well, if I, I was a director, uh, so I was there for a long time, and if I wanted a top-level position, it was part of the game. Uh, and also, the businessmen say, oh, if you don't pay, you don't get it. So it was the only way possible. So it's kind of, the, but at least uh, for the first time, I guess, people from inside uh, are explaining what what happened, actually. And, and uh, of course, uh, and here, uh, it's just to uh, illustrate, actually, um, there are problems with these uh, figures, uh, I do know that, but I, I do think it's interesting. If you see here, um, this is the annual payment uh, to the companies uh, who are being investigated. And this figure <coughs> is provided by Petrobras to a special committee in, in, 
in the National Congress uh, that investigated Petrobras. Uh, it's complicated because we don't have the whole amount of payments uh, made by Petrobras in this same period. Uh, so can, I cannot say if it's an uh, uh, overall trend, actually. But when you compare it with uh, the net profit, it's quite interesting, and especially here, when the profit was uh, lower than the amount paid. Again, uh, just to illustrate how much money these companies received, but uh, this period, uh, Petrobras was increasing fast, investing a lot, Brazil was going well, especially from here to here. So it's just to illustrate, okay? I, I, I cannot uh, make any, I would love to make loads of inferences with this data, but just to have in mind that we're talking about loads of money and billions and that's it. Um, and if you <coughs> compare this amount here uh, to, uh, to <coughs> it increases by 4,000%, it's a lot actually. But again, it's also about uh, campaign finance, I, I told you. And um, again, uh, these figures, I really like it because it's, I'm framing only 2010, and low, we need to be aware that um, these contracts involve uh, complicated uh, uh, operations and in one year, they are loan contracts, and in one year you can receive more money than the other, it depends on the service you do. But here, uh, we do have um, the seven out of the 20 uh, largest donors in 2010. Seven of them are construction firms, all of them are being investigated, and if you look at the amount they donated, and the payment they received from Petrobras on that year, just that year, and the payment they received from the central government, uh, what I'm calling here profit uh, um, rates actually, it varies from 6 to 42. So it looks like uh, it's a good, and here I'm considering all the donations uh, made to all the candidates from all the parties, and not separating uh, the coalition or anything. And if you match uh, what the owner of this company said um, to the police, so the rule of the game was, if you did not pay bribes, you won't succeed or you would not get contracts with Petrobras. And I guess it was the one who donated the largest amount. And yeah, so Paulo Roberto Costa always said, there is no donation that companies do not want to recover. Uh, if they donate 5 million, they will want to recover 20 million. There is no free lunch. It's clear, I guess. Um, and I do argue that this dynamics, uh, it has been shaped by the rules imposed um, regarding campaign finance and, and in Brazil, actually, it has been changing. So it's been in the past 23 years, it changed a little bit. But basically, in 1993, uh, um, they decided that uh, both individuals and corporations uh, can donate. 
they establish a limit, 2% of the company's annual gross revenue. Um, here in 1924, they forced um, every person who donates to submit the, the uh, uh, they, to register it and, and the, the parties and the candidates they need to uh, uh, open um, the balance sheets detailing all the contributions and expenses um, here in so but still the, it's super expensive expensive in Brazil to make uh, campaigns very very expensive actually and uh, it keep, it keeps increasing every single year but uh, last year actually but uh, in 2006, after the Mensalão scandal, another scandal, um, billboards, t-shirts, uh, hats, or musical gigs were banned. They wanted to reduce uh, the, the price of the campaigns, but uh, they didn't succeed, actually. And uh, just for you to have in mind, uh, the donations from corporate um, entities for candidates running for president, senate, and the lower house uh, raised from 66% in 2010 to 76% uh, in 2014. Uh, it's a lot, actually. And then they finally decided to uh, declare uh, unconstitutional corporate finance in 2015. And then, this is going to be my probably <coughs> My, my next paper actually but I want you uh, and I want you to then after that to brainstorm with me uh, because uh, 2016 was the first uh, year that we didn't have uh, company monies but they do have uh, uh, scandals involving um, uh, the donations so that people donated um, uh, a businessman and um, 10 or, or 12 of uh, his employees donated uh, and again I don't think uh, it's going to have a, a good impact on, on corruption actually it's going to reduce for sure the, the, the amount of money uh, investing in, in campaigns but uh, I still think that uh, as individuals can donate, so uh, they will find a way to uh, curb the laws and, and to uh, increase corruption, I guess, I would say. So uh, my final thoughts, actually. Uh, so this paper was an attempt to uh, delve inside the car wash investigation detailing its main findings and outcomes and connecting the main actors, uh, what they said and, and what they said they did uh, to understand how these dynamics works. I was interested in the flow actually. Um, this, the investigation is leading to important disclosures and what I, I do think it's important to, to say uh, for the questions actually is uh, the first uh, 30 phases of Lava Jato is time-framed and space-framed. It was Petrobras between 2005 and 2012. 
because as Paulo Roberto Costa was the first one to sign the plea agreement, so he provided evidence for this period. So it was only Petrobras and in this time period. That's why when you look uh, at the main targets, it's basically from three political parties uh, who were in charge or running Petrobras at that time. PT, the Workers' Party, PMDB, the Progressive Party, and PMDB. Um, now we can uh, see that they are going to other agencies, so they arrived in the state bank, Caixa, they arrived in the Ministry of Planning, uh, they arrived in Eletro Norte uh, Energy Company, another energy company, and I, I don't know how to expect from this Odebrecht uh, 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 agreement because uh, they say there are more than 1,000 pages, 800 uh, illegal acts um, described, and people are speculating that they, they provided evidence for uh, local municipalities and state level and federal level uh, corruption for a long period of time. Um, so we need to wait, but we had, there was a leak uh, of one of the statements, Claudio Mello, I guess, uh, of, uh, director of Odebrecht, so he quoted 42 uh, politicians uh, from different political parties, their names, nicknames, and uh, he detailed how the relationship, what they did, and in, in what uh, for the company and what they got back. So, guess it's the, this crisis is not going to be over soon. But anyhow, um, I do think and I'm not convinced that uh, I'm, I'm kind of pessimistic. I would say that this is going to regenerate Brazilian politics. Uh, I'm not sure if what we need is only punishment uh, and I do think we need balanced punch, punish everyone who is involved in somehow some act and what we see is the Supreme Court in Brazil is responsible for analyzing uh, cases uh, with, with the cases involving people uh, who have special jurisdiction ministers of cabinet uh, and members of the National Congress and of course the president of Brazil. Um, we also uh, have special jurisdictions for governors in a different in the Superior Tribunal Militar, uh, Superior Tribunal Federal, and uh, mayors, they do have special jurisdiction as well. So, and, the, and it's quite unfair to compare what the, the work that the Supreme Court has been doing with what the judges in, in the, the first instance are doing. Moro, who is the main judge in the first instance of the judiciary, he's with, just with this case. Okay, it's a massive case, but it's, it has only one case. The Supreme Court uh, has much, loads of cases, and they are not uh, and they are not only the judges, but they are the head of the investigation as well. So it's quite complicated. You investigate and you judge at the same time. And criminal actions are not their expertise. Uh, 
In theory, they are a constitutional court, actually. And another thing that I had like to put two things to, to finalize. The, uh, the, the 24th phase of Lava Jato, uh, the one who was against uh, President, President Lula, uh, treated partnership in a way that is uh, uh, quite complicated. So now people have been fighting, but uh, since the day they sent him to uh, deliver a statement in a police station, um, People are looking at Lava Jato in a different way, I, I, I guess I can say. I don't know if they're looking the right way, but they're looking a different way. And, and, and yeah, suspicions involving everyone, the judge, the prosecutors, uh, critics, uh, and then we can discuss that, of course. Uh, and also, uh, I'm not convinced that uh, banning corporate donations uh, are per se is a way to uh, curb corruption. So, sorry I don't have a kind of very optimistic uh, ending for my talk, but it's what I think. Thank you. Thank you.